the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome into another week of the USL show. I am Alan Underwood and I am hosting today. I have uh, both halves of the stats department here, so I know we're going to have some fun conversations. Uh, up first, um, a fellow Californian from further west than me. Uh, we've discovered that a few episodes ago. Pony, how are you doing? Uh, not bad. It's cooled down a little bit here, but supposed to get back up to the hundreds by this weekend. Oof. Yeah, I saw it was like 111 and going to be 111 in Portland. I was like, that's insane. So stay cool up there in Sacramento. Hopefully you have a working AC. Uh, and from the further east, uh, we have Ryan. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing okay to stay on the, uh, I guess, weather theme. We just had the remnants of a tropical storm come through here. So uh, hurricane season starting early here on the east coast, I guess. All right. We'll batten down the hatches and make sure you don't get blown away. Uh, we had a little bit of rain the other day, and it was like a absolute surprise. We're like, holy cow. And my spaghetti squash plant decided to blow up. Uh, so enough about weather and food, although I can talk about food for quite some time. Uh, let's dig into some of the news. Uh, I think the biggest news this week is probably uh, the fiasco that happened in Oakland uh, this weekend with their game being canceled. Uh, Pony, uh, your Sacramento Republic uh, was involved in that matchup. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? It's just pretty insane that that actually happened. It was one of those where I was a little bit distracted as the game was getting ready to start. Suddenly I realized, ooh, the game should be like half an hour into it, and I can't find the game. So I started looking up the news like, oh, it's been, it's been postponed and delayed and canceled because the turf was bad. And I thought it was going to be like, oh, there's potholes or there's that sand issue we had from Birmingham earlier in the year and they decided to call it. But it was comical. It was one of those that, I mean, it, you wouldn't want to be playing on that even in a rec league. Right, Ryan, have you have you heard of anything like this where a it was surprising because I thought it was natural grass and I thought maybe there was a weather or there was some issue. But and then we found out it was turf. We're like, wait, what? What was your, uh, do you have any experience with that? This is the Rayo OKC turf living on or persevering, if you will, in lower division soccer. But I remember seeing the photo online and on Twitter when it was posted, the person said it walked in to the stadium and that the turf itself already looked sketchy. But it was almost like carpeted patchwork on there that it wasn't like just like those uh, strips of turf you would roll out over like the infield of a baseball diamond or the pitcher's mound to cover up the field. This was like squares of a carpet that was laid down on the field and it looked absolutely terrible. Yeah, Brad from uh, Orange and Black Soccer Cast uh, made his way from Reno to he, to attend that game. He wanted he was like he got tickets, he was going to go and he was sending out uh, his experience from that match and 
it was quite a um, eye-opening pictures that he sent where the turf wasn't even like tacked down over the track because apparently the turf was like, was too small and so they just kind of laid it out apparently it was like some delay in shipping from their field and it anytime you have a pitch that is unsafe for players is a huge deal uh, this looks kind of bad on the league because I guess they didn't really approve it ahead of time or didn't get a chance to check it out and maybe that's because Oakland didn't put it down for them to check it out until a couple days before the match uh, but what does this kind of reflect on maybe Oakland roots or and or uh, the league pony what do you think I mean I I don't think Oakland played this right it was a everything I've read it was a shipping delay they had the what was supposed to be their field was supposed to have been there by now supposed to have been completely laid out and this wasn't supposed to happen and then they realized we're not going to get what we expected in time. So they kind of panicked and brought in what they could bring in to have a pitch. And it just looks bad on everybody. And again, if we're supposed to be this professional soccer league, we shouldn't be having games that are unplayable due to pitch conditions that aren't out of something that's not beyond someone's control. Like if there's a massive rainstorm and the whole thing is under an inch of water. Yeah. That's an unplayable pitch. That is not the team's fault at all. But if you have a patchwork field, which, I mean, I think I saw a picture of some of the Sacramento players picking up like a four foot by four foot section of it, trying to say, hey, look, we can't do this in warmups. And things like the Birmingham one, and we've had other issues in the past with some other pitches. Usually it's been MLS two teams, but it's just a bad look on the USL. It's one of those that we're trying to be a better league. We're trying to prove that we are professional, that we even could maybe one of these days rival MLS for whatever type of thing you want to talk about. And they don't have this. I mean, this is why we need soccer-specific stadiums, or at least something that might not be soccer-specific, but will be converted to soccer for months at a time. And, I mean, I don't... don't, I'm not with people say Oakland should be fined or dock points or anything like that. I mean, they didn't try to have this set up. This is just the best they could do. But... It also needs, you can't have Sacramento drive out there for the game. You can't have all the fans come out there for the game, especially if some are traveling far. And then say, no, we can't do this. I think my biggest gripe is this happened last minute. This should have been something that was decided the day before. And maybe that's something the U.S. needs to do moving forward. Maybe there needs to be a spot check of every pitch 24 hours before the game supposed to go off. Just to, just to stop this, because this looks bad for the league. And the more this happens, the less faith everyone's going to have in the league. The players, the coaches, the fans. You don't want to... I mean, if I'm an Oakland fan, I am not sure I want to go to the next game unless I have some sort of letter from the USL saying, yes, this game is going to happen. Because if you go to a second game and get told, no, go home 20 minutes before kickoff, you're going to start losing your fans. And even more so, the next Oakland game will actually be held behind closed doors when they played Austin Bold at another site within Oakland that they had to scramble and find for this last minute. So their first official home game isn't going to be at their home venue, but a closed door match. Yeah, it's quite unfortunate because I know they had quite a big deal planned for Juneteenth, uh, that being a huge thing for um, kind of the, I want to say the PR of their franchise, but I know that was a huge uh, point in contention of why they kind of chose that date to kick off. It fits in with uh, kind of the 
the outward appearance of that team. But then this also kind of speaks to are there issues in the front office? Is everything hunky-dory in Oakland? Or are there some ongoing issues that we need to keep an eye on as far as, um, you know, is the this is reminds me of um, was at Hartford a couple years ago where rumors started to come out about things not going well. Um, this does worry me as far as uh, the look for the league. Uh, Oakland just came in, so it's a new team, so it's not like this is an established team trying to pull this off. But I would like to have seen them, hey, when they knew things were getting delayed, try to put something together where they're playing at a secondary site um, or at least letting fans and the league know that there's something up um, as opposed. I think there was there were fans in the stadium already and uh, before they canceled it. And that's just a really I agree. It's a really bad look. It's pretty disappointing. Um, and it just points to how important it is to be able to control the stadium you play in and, and, and pony i think you're right it doesn't necessarily need to be soccer specific but you need to be able to be to control that environment we saw we see this with orange county from time to time where there's 18 teams playing in that stadium and sometimes the the turf isn't great um or now that vegas isn't training on their pitch at cashman maybe that field really improves so i think it's really important that we uh, hold teams accountable and make sure that they know that hey, the, the, this looks bad and we need to not do this anymore. Like this feels very, I don't say Bush League, but it feels very Bush League. Um, so any other final thoughts on Oakland? I think we've... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think ahead, we've Pony. kind of beat into the ground, but I'd be interested just once this whole ordeal is completely over, just to see a timeline behind the scenes of who got told what when. I mean, when was the first time anyone from... Oakland thought that this game was going to be legitimately canceled. Were they shocked when the ref said, no, we're not doing this? Or were they kind of hoping that the ref would just ignore it? Yeah, what did you know and when did you know it? I feel like very journalistic. Yeah. And I mean, and I just want to say good props to the ref for shutting down that game because there are some refs that I'm sure were just going, okay, well, this isn't good to field, but we got a game to play, guys. Go out there and don't twist an ankle. Yeah, we've we've seen that as well where teams play and people get hurt because turf comes up. And, yeah, it's great that they made a good decision for player safety. Um, so moving on to the next bit of news, I know we're going to dig into a lot of this, but um, rumors were, were circulating before, uh, but now it's officially announced that MLS has created and are going to uh, petition for a, a Division Three format um, for MLS. And... Um, Obviously, the debate is not necessarily about the format of MLS D3 or what it's going to look like, but what its impact is on the championship, on League One and NISA. And I think that's kind of where the, the frame of view we're going to look at this uh, through tonight. Um, Ryan, what are your initial thoughts on the D3 format for MLS and then kind of its impacts on the championship and League One and even NISA? It seems like it's more MLS trying to already, uh, they've already monopolized the top tier, but it seems like them trying to expand their influence into the lower leagues. We've already seen, I think within their announcement, that a few USL championship clubs, I think namely Tacoma and Real Monarchs and Sporting KC2 would be jumping ship to this new MLS D3 league. So that's already three current USL teams that are going to be leaving the league at the end of the year and it just it already takes a very convoluted 
in a lower division soccer system and makes it ever so more complicated, needlessly complicated. You mean that's not what United States needed was another division three soccer league run by a completely different uh, organizational structure? If you look at the new uh, United States kit that they released today, that it had all the uh, red and white stripes going in all different directions, I think that was a perfect analogy for U.S. soccer at the moment of just so many converging thoughts and directions that we just, like, all put it in one spot and that will be our path forward. Somehow we'll make it work. Now, now, Pony, uh, obviously on Twitter, we had the overreaction chorus going. Um, Any thoughts that you saw from them that might have some validity as far as the effects that this has on lower division soccer? I think it depends on what divisions you're talking about. Because to me, for the USL Championship, I think this will have little to no impact. I mean, we're going to lose a few teams. And we don't know which ones exactly yet. And they're probably not going to be significant teams because I'd guess teams like Red Bulls 2, who are potentially one of the better teams every year out east, are going to stay. But I don't think it's going to be different than, let's say, what happened we've happened for the last few years, where we lose a team like Fresno, we lose a team like St. Louis, and it sucks. But, you know, time marches on for the USL championship. I think the biggest thing of how much, I guess, how disruptive this will be for the lower leagues is how competitive the league actually ends up being. Because if they're putting on performances that are at or above USL 1 level, then I think this actually starts becoming disruptive. Because at that point, new teams decide, well, do we go and have our new, maybe independent team play the reserve teams? Do we have them go play the independent teams? And that's where things get interesting. But strictly speaking from a USL championship, I think this is nothing. I don't think this matters in the least bit for what's going to happen next year and in the year after that. Unless for some bizarre reason that we don't see right now, a bunch of teams just said, you know what, we'd rather just go play the reserve teams. And I'm not sure why you'd rather go play deserve, reserve teams who are there to develop players instead of playing teams who are trying to win the championship. Because those are two vastly different things. And I think, you know, USL Championship, a lot of teams are not a lot of teams and a lot of players are this is a glorified trial for them. This is to show teams that in a competitive league against good players, not against 16 to 18 year olds who are trying to break into the main team, that they are good enough to maybe get a call up to the MLS somewhere, maybe get signed to an overseas team, because we see that happen where some of the best players in the USL don't necessarily go to MLS, but they go to a different country. And yeah, but that's, that's my thought. I think this is, this could impact USL 1 and below. It could impact NISA, but USL Championship is going to be completely fine out of something abs- unless something completely absurd happens here. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, one of the interesting things that was kind of announced within the MLS uh, kind of D3 announcement, in addition to that they'd say they welcome in independent teams in addition to the reserve sides, was that there are some MLS teams, specifically uh, Charlotte FC's president, Nick Kelly, said that they would look to launch their D3 team in a different market than uh, than Charlotte at the moment. So like, I'd be curious going forward, would we see a bunch of MLS teams say, okay, we may not want to launch uh, Portland Timbers 2 in Portland, say, but let's put them in Boise. Let's put... Charlotte and Greensboro, let's put Columbus and Cleveland or so. Could we see potential expansion markets for USLC 
start to get eaten up by MLS teams putting their B team in these other markets. Yeah, you're seeing kind of an experiment with that with uh, Las Vegas and LAFC where they're training in LA and then they're playing in Vegas. Um, and there's been, you know, a lot of people have been pointed out kind of how ridiculous that is. But I mean, if you're looking at developing young players and having them train with the, the big club and then they just happen to play games in a different city, uh, it, that's manageable. It seems like it's working out okay with LAFC in Vegas. Now, on the flip side of that is, do you get the buy-in from that community knowing that uh, if you're training with a big club in one city and then f- basically traveling in to play a home game and then traveling out again, you don't have that same kind of connection and are fans and people going to want to show up? And then I think that is what determines some of those independent teams is, hey, I'm an independent club. Where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? Am I going to get it playing a bunch of reserve sides where we know that there's not a huge fan following. There's not going to be that uh, making the money back in kits and in selling hot dogs and hamburgers. But, you know, I, I think that's where on the business side, uh, USL League One and NISA need to make themselves a little bit. Uh, and that's a, where they need to lean in, I think, a little bit on that. Where it's like, yeah, you, you might be in the MLS ecosystem, but look at the numbers of, as far as fan uh, engagement versus something like Ford Madison, where they've really been able to punch into the public conscious of soccer in America as a League One team. Uh, and as a businessman, that's attractive. Like, if we can create that social presence in the, as in League One, we might not get that in MLS. But I do think with that training outside or playing outside, Tacoma's been pretty successful with that. Uh, Las Vegas is somewhat successful uh, as far as the numbers are concerned. But I, I think there's a model there for that to happen. Um, but I... I have a hard time seeing independent owners wanting to sign up for MLS D3 versus um, a NISA or a USL Championship League One uh, or League One, not Championship, League One. And then to Pony's point about the championship being kind of fine is this kind of trims the fat a little bit of USL Championship. And I think losing some of those two teams immediately makes the league even more competitive where every week you're playing a tough team and people are going to want to tune into those games. Right. Um, I think that when we look at losing maybe four Western and four Eastern conference teams, you're at 12 each side. Now you're playing 20, that's a 22 games against uh, your division or your conference. And then you have cross conference play and that makes up, you know, you have 12 more games. That's a 34 game season. You play them home and away alternating years like league MX. And that's a really quality league. I think people would sign up to watch that. If every year you knew Phoenix was playing Louisville, either home or away or Tampa Bay home or away or Pittsburgh. Like those are the things that really, I think excite me is what is the, championship going to do when they're trimmed down a little bit and then obviously they're going to want to build back up um, and build a couple more teams in there but i I, what do we think about um does the talent pool exist for a league or for the championship to exist in a mls d3 system so like what happened like a Santi Moa or a Solomon Asante like do those guys go sign with the MLS D3 team in hopes that they're that old guy who finally can break in or is there more playing time and more opportunity for their career to develop staying in the championship I think it might depend on how good the team they're on is 
Like if you're on a team who's going nowhere, if you're a team who's going to be sitting at the bottom of the table and it's an independent team, and you figure you have maybe five years left in your career and you're still hoping to make MLS, at that point, I think you do go to a, to, to a USL3 team. I mean, I'm, I can't believe I'm blinking on the, his name right now, who was at Salt Lake when they won the title. But Would you, The goalkeeper? Well, not the goalkeeper. Uh, older, older Jack player. Jack Blake? Yeah, I, that might be one of them, yeah. But there's a few where we saw people who had been in the USL for a few years suddenly decide to go to MLS2 team and then break into MLS through that system. Mikhail but Chang? I think, yeah, Mikhail Chang. That was the name I was looking at. I just couldn't, I could not think of him for some, for some reason. But uh, I think that is when people are going to move to the MLS3 side is when they know the team they're on, they're not going to be appreciated or at least not get the eyes on them they need. But if you're going to have someone on Phoenix or Louisville or Tampa, they're not going to an MLS three team. They're getting all the spotlight already, and they're proving their they're they're proving it against some of the best teams with some of the best players around them, as opposed to being the you know a, the person in their late twenties playing with people who are ten years younger than you and blowing them out of the water because they're after the game they go back to they go back to high school the next day and you go <laughs> continue on with your life. That's not a not the best way to de- demonstrate your power. But again, if I was on the older end, well, I would be on the older end if I, was, if I was actually playing. But if I thought I'd actually be good enough to make MLS and was not on a good team, I probably would look into MLS 3. But I think it becomes a very specific scenario, not one where most people are going to try to do. I think the ones that are going to be interesting are the people who are going to be maybe coming out of college and saying, do I sign for an independent team or do I try to go for MLS 3 team? That might be the interesting one to track. And then obviously USL championship teams rely quite a bit. I shouldn't say quite a bit, but some of them rely nicely on some loans. Does this affect, uh, Ryan, do you think this affects the ability for USL championship teams to get some of those fringe MLS players to be loaned down, knowing that they might get sent to a D3 instead? I think so. I mean, if we're looking at the number of MLS teams who are looking to join the league, I think they said that they were looking at 20 teams within their first season. And they said it'd be a mixture of MLS and uh, independent teams. But I'd have to imagine majority of those would be MLS teams. So if you take the 27 teams that are already in MLS, either within this year or next season, and say there's 20, if you take 12 off that's a good majority of the league that it would just right off the bat would not be loaning teams to anyone other than their b team which i think would make it really difficult for some of these usl teams to try and attract players from these teams especially some of these teams who hadn't had a usl uh, a team in usl to begin with because i look at some of these guys who are who are being loaned like Trey Muse was loaned from Sac- uh, from Seattle to San Diego. Is he no longer like in the D three realm? Is he still now stuck on a D three like Division three, essentially like a USL League One team? Is that like a demotion for him, or is there like is a player like that still going to find some love in the USL Championship, knowing that they're kind of that in between, like MLS D three? It might be higher in League One, but I would make an argument that MLS D three might not ever get to that level that USL Championship is as far as competitiveness and um, 
what you know establishing yourself as i can play do you think that there's still room for a guy like trey muse out of that mls system to to find their way into to, uh, the championship pony i see you're shaking your head yeah yeah i think again it's going to depend on how competitive that mls d3 ends up being but thinking as if i was high up in the sounder staff if i had the choice of sending a keeper who i thought was good enough to eventually break into the main team down to a league where everyone's competitive he's gonna maybe not he's gonna be a good keeper not one of the best keepers in the league but it's gonna be a very good keeper as opposed to again sending him down to play with mostly kids where he should be the best keeper bar none in the league he should rarely be allowing goals and the talent he's gonna be playing against is much lower i think the d3 is what we've kind of complained about what some MLS two teams have done is it's a purely development league. The point for the team is not to win the cup every year. It's not to win games week in and week out. The point for the MLS, some of the MLS two teams is to develop maybe one player a year or two players a year who is going to become an MLS starter and maybe be sold for a bunch of money. They're not there to win every single game. And some of the lines they put out, it's clear they're not there to win every single game. They're there to get the young kids better. And if you have someone who is a very high-level talent that you have a lot of faith in that is older, you don't send him to that league. You send him to a league where he will be challenged. And unless, for whatever reason, MLS D3 is on par with the USL Championship, the best players from MLS who are getting loaned down will still be coming to the USL Championship sides. Ryan, any thoughts on any final thoughts on D three? Yeah, I think overall we'll just have to look and see what uh, the level of playing that they have within this league is. Just kind of going forward, and how some of these teams choose to approach this league will be very interesting. Because, like Pony's been saying, we have teams within MLS who want to win the Cup this year, who want to be this very good team, but we also have MLS2 teams who could care less about how the cup turns out for them. Like, if you're looking at the current standings right now of the league, three of the four divisions, uh, current seller-dweller is an MLS2 side of Real Monarchs, SKC2, and Loudoun United. Yeah, and the, the only one that's not is is the Pacific and that's because Oakland has played half of the games Vegas has and is only three points back. So in reality, if you took a look at maybe at the eight, seventh or eighth game mark, you might have all four divisions have a two team at in last place. Uh, once you hit the kind of eight game mark, uh, based on how Oakland's playing, that's, that could be a reality. Um, but yeah, I think, um, Losing some of those teams is not going to be the end of the world for the championship. Um, but I, I do think that um, there might have to be some really important conversations happening in the league office with USL and NISA about, um, you know, maybe year two, three, when we fi- finally figured out what this D3 looks like, uh, kind of having a, a reality check about what they're doing um, and how things are going. And then what direction they want to take these leagues in going forward. Cause there is, I mean, anytime you have multiple leagues operating at the same level, uh, egos get in the way, politics get in the way. Um, and you lose sight of 
development and playing good soccer i think uh that it gets more into i'm our league wants to beat your league regardless of what happens on the pitch uh so i'm hoping that we don't lose sight of the real reason why we have these tiers and that's to uh, create good players develop those good players and uh, allow them uh, to flourish in their careers and so hopefully we don't lose sight of that as we get into these even more soccer wars between the divisions all right uh any final thoughts on d3 before we uh talk about some some matches and some overall reactions all right uh so there's a ton of soccer going on right now uh and we would probably spend an, an hour and a half talking about if we went through every single match um so pony is there any matches that you uh were paying attention to uh this last week or anything that you might be interested in this coming week that you want to highlight um as always there's, there's a couple interesting matches i saw pittsburgh got that one over indy which was kind of a lucky one that was one of those examples of a wall breaking down on a free kick in a pretty catastrophic way where it broke down just enough to allow a deflection off someone in the wall and into the goal but I don't think there is it also I kind of was watching the RGV Austin game which was odd I think that was one where RGV actually deserved points but kudos to Austin for getting the win at very late for that but it was a it was an interesting week there's a lot of high scoring games I mean Colorado Springs are they good or are they not debate still kind of continues for a lot of us i'm still not quite sure what to think about them they'll look very good and then they'll do something that looks very bad they feel like one of those teams where if they make the playoffs i mean the sky's the limit because when they're playing well they're one of the better teams in the league and when they're not they are very obviously not one of the better teams in the league i mean yeah seven games 14 4 12 against they're they're one of those teams that if you just like high tempo, high scoring, and anything can happen. They're one of the teams that I was not expecting to fit that mold, but here they are. Yeah, and there, there was that Vegas-LA Galaxy match that went back and forth. That game was drunk. And I do want to point out, Ryan, since you asked me which was more likely to happen, Tampa Bay winning the Shield or Vegas winning a game. Uh, Vegas, that was Pony. Uh, Pony asked me that. I think it was them winning a spoon, uh, but... I don't think they'd ever it lose was, every game. I don't. I don't even. I don't. Even, I wasn't even that low on them. I had them as a spoon, but maybe not. I mean, the... they uh, they won. They've won two games, so uh, they're starting to figure themselves out, which is is crazy. Uh, you talked about Pittsburgh. They started out a little bit slow. Now they're all of a sudden right back into playoff contention. I think this is kind of that that ten game mark that. Uh, several USO coaches make note of as kind of the benchmark as far as figuring teams out. Uh, Ryan, anything that stood out to you this past week as far as matches or things you want to look forward to? El Paso remains as the last unbeaten team in the league as they currently sit second within the Mountain Division, two points behind RGV, but they do have two games in hand. They achieved that with a 2-1 to victory over Real Monarchs. And looking elsewhere in the East, Pittsburgh got a very big win over uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies this past week to keep them firmly in a playoff spot, four points above the drop. But after Pittsburgh's rather, I think, would you say disappointing win or disappointing defeat over their last week, they definitely needed a bounce back result. And that was certainly the result that they were looking for. 
Yeah, I, I've also noticed that Charleston is not has hasn't quite recovered to their normal form, and I'm not sure. Like I was pretty high on them early, just because they of do the have history. games in hand. Yeah, and just because of their history, but uh, they don't quite seem to be that same team that they have been in the past. Although, again, it's a long season and anything can happen. I mean, last time I tried to make a prediction, I was gloriously wrong, um, and. Luckily, there aren't tons of Vegas fans to hold me accountable for that. Um, obviously, um, in the Pacific, there have been some pretty good matchups. Uh, OC and Sacramento are always a, a fun game to, to watch. Um, Orange County uh, with um, with Damas, Demas. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check him out, he is fast. Uh, he is fun to watch. Former Golden Boot from League One and two years ago, two seasons ago, 2018, I believe. Uh, if you want to find someone who is as close to soccer is, uh, is life, uh, that kind of positive, uh, kind of fun guy to watch, uh, keep an eye on Orange County. Um, and I, I think he's at, he's scored in like the past five matches, Ronaldo Damas. Uh, he's so much fun to watch um, and is such a joy. Every time he scores, he's got a giant smile on his face. He's having a great time. So if you want to pay attention to some happy scorers, uh, pay attention to that. Uh, San Diego has been on a run lately as well. That match against Phoenix was a really fun one. Um, I thought both sides had moments that they looked really good. Uh, so if you hadn't had a chance to check out that match, uh, definitely check that one out as well. Those are kind of the ones that I paid attention to this past yeah, week. One other thing, I know you mentioned uh, to go back to Vegas. They actually won a road game. Which is impressive. I looked. I think looking back, that was our first road win since September twenty eighth of twenty nineteen. So it was against Los Dos, though, which is technically they're still their same city. Okay, got to go back further then. But, <laughs> yeah, that's Vegas is always. I think Vegas is the epitome of a team who is never good on the road, but actually very respectable when you're playing them at home. And again, this year, they've improved it again. They've done okay at home. Yeah, I think this past home loss was one of the first in, a, in quite a while. They usually figure out a way to get at least a point from some of those home matches, if not victories. Um, I think maybe that that home fight or the home field advantage maybe isn't as uh, good because they're not training out there, but we'll have to keep an eye on that as the season progresses. Uh, yes, um, this next weekend, um, actually, they play tomorrow. Uh, Vegas is trying to set a record for a water balloon fight at halftime. I think it's 20,000 or 20,000 water balloons. Are they from helicopters? Um, it is a real gimmick. No, <laughs> that might be more enjoyable too. Um, helicopter water balloon fight. Uh, whew, that sounds dangerous. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're trying some more gimmicks. <laughs> helicopter water balloon fight. What kind of music would that be? Probably uh, ska. This is why we need, maybe, maybe, right? Fourth wave ska. That's where we need Phil to, to chime in. Um, yeah, and they've actually advertised to San Diego fans to like stay where your team is staying at this hotel. And um, I, I think maybe that's a little bit what their direction they're going to go is to some of those traveling fans to try and fill out their stadium. But yes, that is a real gimmick that they're doing. Uh, they have moved on from llamas and now are moving into um, to water balloon fights. 
Um, any games this coming week that we are excited to check out? Pony, any of that stick out to you? Um, I'll probably pay attention to Sacramento Phoenix. Is Sacramento still struggling, but it'd be interesting to see what they do there. Also, it'll be fun to see Oakland play their first yeah, quote-unquote um, home game behind closed doors, even though, from what I remember reading, that one's still going to be broadcast on ESPN Plus's normal. Correct. It'll be interesting to see how they set that up when it's not in the stadium that they're used to. What different practice um, when they go play in Tacoma? Ryan? <laughs> Ryan, any games that you want to highlight this coming week? I'm most looking forward to the Hartford-Tampa Bay game because I feel like that would go a very long ways towards deciding the top four in the Atlantic Division. You have Tampa Bay currently on 18 points in first place, Hartford on 13 points in fourth place, and that could really help increase the gap that Tampa Bay has over the rest of the division, or it can make the title race that much more exciting if Hartford were able to get a result out of this one. I mean, that wouldn't be super surprising for them to do that. I think, like, Hartford and El Paso have been... I mean, El Paso's sneaky good every year. Like, no one talks about El Paso um, as much as they talk about some of the other teams, uh, San Diego included, uh, as a homer. Um, And I think that that kind of under-the-radar thing for Hartford is working out really well for them. They've been pretty consistently good over the past couple seasons and they have an op- Brew agrees. Uh, they have an opportunity to 5-1-1 um, and one if they uh, pull this win off and I think it's very likely uh, that they might. That's a really good one. A really good shout. Um, if you're not watching that one, you might have a dual screen up for the Louisville Indy 11. Um, maybe not as a marquee matchup as much as it normally is. Uh, but that's always a, a really fun uh, historical matchup to check out. Um, I, I agree. I'm gonna probably definitely I'm gonna definitely check out that Sacramento Phoenix match. Sacramento has not been playing super well, um, but who knows? I think those are uh, that Sacramento at home versus Phoenix um, is gonna be Sacramento. I think plays them well at home. Uh, so that'll be a fun one to pay attention to. And I'm going to pay attention to this Colorado, New Mexico. Uh, Pony, you mentioned you're not quite sure who Colorado is this year yet. I think this is going to be another game to kind of figure out who they are. They had a gutsy 10-man win, comeback win. Actually, it's a comeback. Um, it was a draw, and then Colorado scored uh, to win 3-2. to two. Uh, down a man. I think this is going to be another big test for them um, against a pretty d- decent quality side, and that's on Friday night uh, at 6 p.m. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one since New Mexico already beat them once early in the season, but after that loss, Colorado Springs is unbeaten in, in their next four games. So, but and yeah, and what you're saying about Hartford? Um, looking at the okay, rest. Okay, about Hartford. Yeah, people need to stop underestimating Hartford. I mean, I was higher than most of them going into this season, and I did not think they would be as good as they are right now. They have quickly turned into one of the teams out East who is legitimately a contender to make a cup, to make a cup run. The best goal differential in oh, the East. Oh, that 7-0 one helps a whole lot in that department. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, anything else from this coming week? No one's no one's mentioning the Atlanta two Oklahoma City match from Sunday afternoon. I don't no, think going to be mentioning it next a, week either. I was thinking match. about that. Wow, massacre! I was thinking. I was thinking about the Atlanta United two match against OKC as just being a 
potential just kind of uh, who can like be like a good playoff bubble in the Central, but uh, OKC has won their last two games, but I'm really not sure how uh, that would factor into the playoff picture that uh, that may be uh, battling towards a fifth place finish at the end of the year. I guess year. one thing you could say that's actually not bad about OKC is their defense hasn't been horrible. They've only allowed multiple goals in three of seven games. And Atlanta United 2 does have a positive goal differential right now, which you can't say about both Indy 11 and Tulsa currently occupying playoff spots in the Central Division. Yeah, that's a... I haven't paid attention to goal, the, the goals for, goals against numbers in a little bit, and some of these are downright shocking. Um, kind of how low they are, like Indy 9 and 10, Memphis 5 and 8, um, Red Bulls 10 and 20, um, although that's not that surprising. Um, all right, let's... Uh, move on to uh just kind of reactions in general um taking a look at where we are we're kind of at that close to that 10 game mark some of the teams are at 10 games some of them will be over this weekend uh any kind of trends that stand out to you as as interesting and or surprising um shocking to say the least pony Uh, well sacramento has a rough start to the year but they haven't just haven't clicked offensively at this point which they for a team who it's historically not great at converting chances. They need to do pretty quickly or they're going to quickly be in a legitimate danger of missing the playoffs for the first time in their history. But, I mean, they got a really rough conference this year. I mean, that the Pacific is very, very strong top to bottom. I mean, when I mean, even Vegas is still getting like a point per game picking up. That's not a complete slouch. That's better than wooden spoon pace is probably going to be. But also an interesting one, and I, I think San Antonio is kind of on that bubble of not quite sure where they're going to go. I mean, they've played nine games and have five draws. That's something that if they fix it in the right way, they're going to be back to where they thought they'd going to be as a very good team. If they slip just a little bit, they could find themselves again like Sacramento on the outside looking in with a month left to the season. Yeah, that Mountain Division is crazy. Your sixth-place team has 11 points. Your first-place team has 17. I know there's some games in hand in there, but um, holy shnikes. Like that, you go on a couple-game run, you can't, you're can't. you fine. And I think San Antonio is looking at that saying, hey, we're still in touching distance. We're st- still essentially tied for fourth. Um, obviously, uh, Colorado Springs, Austin have some games in hand, but points on the board is points on the board. Um, Ryan, what about you? Any uh, any things that pop out to you uh, as far as trends over the, the course of uh, the season? I mean, looking around, we've already touched based on the Pacific Division, already kind of making a pretty decent gap between their top four teams right now and their bottom four teams. I do think it's surprising that Los Dos has made it into the top four at the moment and has held that spot for quite some time. El Paso being undefeated is still, I think, highly overlooked in the league and should get more attention as it goes forward. But I guess if you're looking up in the Atlantic division that uh, Charleston not in a playoff spot is surprising. And even more silently that Charlotte is towards the top of the Atlantic division 
as well. I'm not sh- I do not believe that they'll win the Atlantic Division, but it, just the fact that they're already second place in the division on 15 points is rather surprising from me. Yeah, they've been kind of sneaky good beating some teams that like on going into the season, I think you would have select, uh, said, "Hey, there's no not a real chance that they're going to beat them," but uh Charlotte has been uh quite a surprise. Um, and like I said, points on the board is points on the board. 15 points after eight games, you know, that's just, was it just under two points per game? Uh, I think Charlotte fans would have signed up for that at the beginning of the season. I just got to make sure that they can maintain that pace. Uh, we talked about Atlanta two already, uh, being kind of a surprise as well. Uh, I think going into the season, I looked at them kind of being toward the bottom and they're putting up some pretty decent numbers and being pretty competitive. Um, and sometimes a pretty fun team to watch. Uh, like you said, San Antonio, we talked about San Antonio and uh, Miami actually kind of starting to put some things together, maybe, or, um, or are they going to be kind of like they were last year where they have tons of talent on the pitch and just can't quite put it together? Uh, they're still kind of straddling that playoff line as well. So I'm interested to see uh, how, Miami responds um, as they continue to play. Um, I thought you know, maybe a decent play, decent game against Birmingham last match, um, but n- unfortunately, get some points there. Um, all right, uh, the last thing we want to chat about is just uh, that announcement um, from Jamie Vardy and Rochester Rhinos. Uh, obviously not going to be in USL, uh, but the producer of one of my favorite reality shows, The British Bake Off, is producing a reality show about launching that. So that seems like that team has legs. Any thoughts about Jamie Vardy uh, and the Rochester Rhinos soccer off? I can imagine uh, Jamie Vardy's Rochester Rhinos will be joining that MLS D3. I'm just not sure where else... They would go. We already have Flower City Union and Nisa, and unless they've uh, merged or somehow settled their differences, I think Jamie Vardy's Rhinos will be going to MLS D three. But I, I'd be interested in seeing that documentary, just seeing how it takes to form a D three team, especially here in the United States. I know we've had uh, uh, Kingston Stockade. They. Um, they always do like a really in-depth uh, article at the end of the year talking about their finances and everything that it takes to go into building a lower division team here. But I think seeing it on screen as well, being able to know uh, where the players come from, um, the mentalities of the management, of the ownership, of the fans and everyone involved, I feel like could give a really good insight into what it takes to build, run, and maintain a successful lower division soccer club here in the United States on a, I, I almost say an unprecedented level that we haven't seen previously within U.S. soccer. Yeah, there's one thing that U.S. soccer is great at is transparency, right? Um, mm-hmm. Especially lower division soccer. Yeah, I agree. I think um, this might give us some insights into how it's run and kind of rebuilding a franchise that um, is one of those names that people uh, even coming to soccer newer 
some folks know because it's just a name that's been around for a while and it's kind of now it's kind of an ongoing joke so hopefully they can increase some seriousness and now this actually feels like it has legs where like restarting a twitter account is fine and dandy but i think just having that like the realness of putting together a documentary it feels like there's going to be an end product here that's going to have a team actually play some football i I think it's good for a a team name that should be still alive with the rochester rhinos um maybe next uh the uh, hammerheads can make a comeback that's the next season of last chance you slash sunderland till i die slash lower soccer rebirth um yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see what kind of comes of that. Not necessarily what league they join, but just kind of that behind-the-scenes look um, to lower division soccer. I think you're right. Uh, any last thoughts, Ryan, before we uh, say adieu? All right, I know Pony uh, has been in and out a little bit at the end. Uh, so for uh, Ryan, for Pony... Uh, For me, Alan, uh, I'm going to borrow Evan's uh, tag-off line of just don't be a dick. And uh, we will see you guys or hear you guys next time. Thanks for uh, listening and subscribing.